with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everyone. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to the Phronesis podcast. Today, I have Dr. Tom Bateman, and he is Professor Emeritus with the University of Virginia's McIntyre School of Commerce. Tom's academic field is organizational behavior, and he's explored topics like leadership, motivation, decision-making, job stress, teamwork. Uh, He was the founder and longtime director of UVA's multidisciplinary leadership minor, which was open to all students across all majors. Now, his career-long research interests center around proactive behavior, including leadership. He's really interested in proactive behavior of employees at all levels. And being proactive means much more than just starting a task sooner rather than later. It means thinking about the future and acting strategically to change current trajectories to avoid future problems and create better futures. That sounds like important thing, Tom, for leaders. <laughs> I, I do believe it is. And the, the more I work on it, the more important it seems. And the more I see the real world, uh, the more important it seems. And so, you know, we're going to focus on some of that definition today, and I'm excited to really engage in that conversation. What do we need to fill? What gaps do we need to fill in about you, Tom? What else do we need to share with listeners before we jump into our conversation? Oh, just real quickly. uh, I did grow up in the Midwest and went to school in the Midwest. After that, though, it's been it was decades in the Southeast. 
Virginia and, and North Carolina. And then uh, not long ago, I sort of retired from, at least from full-time teaching. And we moved to Chicago for a couple of years, started a restaurant in Chicago. Really? Our, our son went to culinary school yeah. and uh, and he is a fiance, now wife, uh, are managing the restaurant. It's been tough with COVID, as you can imagine. Yes. But it's getting great reviews. It's been really fun. And now just a few months ago, I moved to Maine. Tell us about the restaurant real quick. What can you share? Well, thank you. It's uh, don't get me going, but it's uh, it's international street foods, kind of upscale. Okay. I mean, it's not trucks. It's it's a sit down restaurant, and it is international street foods. There's a travel theme and an international theme, and the name of it is Gadabout, which is an old word that means a person who travels from place to place seeking pleasure. Ah, and it's in Chicago, a neighborhood called Andersonville. So thanks for asking. You know, one of my one of my favorite artists, recording artists, was Edith Bikel, and she was in a band called the Gadabouts. So you should play some Gadabouts at Gadabout. And I'm very you know, good. That'd be very meta. I didn't. I, it would be meta. I, I did not know that. But your older listeners might remember, or your more oh mature listeners might remember. A TV personality called Gadabout Gaddis. He was a, a fisherman. Yeah. Back in the days of black and white TV. I don't, you know, I, I think I was on the tail end of that, or, or it was a little ahead of my time. The only thing in black and white, Tom, that I remember, I was born in 72. I just remember watching Flipper and the Adams <laughs> family. <laughs> well, well, that may be the saddest story I've ever heard. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. So you, the restaurant survived COVID, which is, says a lot. I mean, that's been a very, very difficult year, 18 months to open a, open a restaurant period, but then B to make it through COVID. What leadership lessons did you pick up just even in that experience? Let's go there first, because you're a leadership professor. Is everyone looking at you like, okay, you're the leadership guy. <laughs> The best lesson for me was knowing the importance of delegation to someone who knows more than I do. And that that's my son and his now wife. Uh, yeah. So I, I just uh, mostly get to enjoy being there and enjoying the food and the company. But uh, credit for surviving COVID to my son and his wife and a great staff. People want to work for them. Wow. And we're not even even now we're not having staffing problems like so many restaurants have had. And that's a really to their credit. Also credit to honestly, the governor of Illinois and, and the mayor of uh, Chicago for being careful in their policies. Yeah. Well, let's talk proactivity, because this is your area of expertise that you've studied for years. And it's not an area that I've spent a lot of time on. So I'm excited to have this conversation and learn a little bit more about this space. Let's start with some baseline concepts. What do listeners need to know about proactivity? What might even some misconception be when it comes to this topic? Oh, that's a perfect place to start. Um, there's, I think there's a lot worth knowing, but it, it does start with a major misconception. It's sort of a cliche to say I should have been more proactive he, she, we, they should have been more proactive. And that usually means I wish I'd started sooner rather than waited till the last couple of days. And now I'm cramming it in and maybe doing a lousy job. Yeah. It is far more than that. And to put it another way, it's, it is not just the opposite of procrastination. It involves a lot of what I really think are profound 
advantages. It includes both thinking about the future and doing something on behalf of the future. Mm. In, in some ways, the, the farther into the future you think, the more all else equal, the more proactive you're being. And it, it, it targets creating better futures than what would happen if you did not behave proactively. Not procrastinating is an example, but it's a, almost a trivial example that yeah. is common, common sense to everybody. But it, it means doing something to change whatever trajectory you're currently on or your team is on or your company is on to try to minimize future problems and maximize future options and opportunities. As you are speaking, and again, that if this is way too simplistic, just by all means say, Scott... You know, you're you're way off base here. But as you were speaking, I thought of the, I think it's been attributed to Eisenhower as well, but Covey's quadrant, time management quadrant, the, the quadrant two, which is, can I lead myself sometimes to really, truly focus on that quadrant two, that not urgent stuff, but important stuff. And if I spend my time here, it's going to help me be in a better place down the road in the future. Is it is that in the ballpark? I'll make fun of that comment after we're done and nobody else is listening. No, no, it is perfectly relevant. In fact, I'm really interested that you thought of that. It's true. Do most people know that? I suppose a lot of people do, but it's a, of all your tasks, you've got a million tasks that you have to do, accomplish, work on sooner rather than later. But you could classify every task as being either urgent or not urgent and important or not important. And ideally, Covey would say, you want to spend as much time as you can in that quadrant working on important things when they're not yet urgent so you can do a quality job. So I think that's a real, honestly, more seriously, a really good thought. And may I add that I thought of Covey in an, an additional way, which is, so the, the book was what, mid-80s, Seven Habits of Effective People. And the very first habit is to be proactive. And he calls it the underpinning of all the subsequent habits. Wow. So it is profoundly important in that sense. Without meaning to sound critical, he said some really important things in that first chapter, but it, it only scratched the surface of what we've come to learn about proactivity. Because okay. he usually he, he talked primarily about how you interpret situations and think up through before you decide what to do. But it was mostly about a perceptual cognitive thing and didn't really highlight hard the action, including the long-term action and, and the need to keep adjusting strategies over time to, to reach longer-term goals. So it was good. It certainly made the point that proactivity is much more than just that cliche, but it just was a start to thinking more deeply about the topic. So it's envisioning a better future. And then acting on and, and, and behaviorally putting that into practice ahead of time. Exactly. And I think that's not a small point. A lot of people are thinkers, but not doers. Yep. And a lot of people are the opposite. <laughs> and a lot of people are neither. <laughs> but uh, proactivity requires both. It is strategic. So it requires genuine thought. Yeah. And it includes Take, not only taking that first step, but keeping after things and adjusting over time until mission accomplished. Okay. And I like that adjusting over time. Even if we go back to your son's restaurant 
as you're as you're observing and as you're watching, I'm sure there have been thousands of adjustments as they're getting the feedback loops, as they're coming back, they're adjusting to what the data is telling them. Would that be accurate? Uh, totally accurate. And that's a, that's a point at which I might add without being critical, because there are reasons for this, but the huge majority of behavioral research is very short term in its orientation. Hmm. I mean, you can't bring in subjects to the laboratory and keep them for long periods of time. Yeah. Or if you try to do survey studies over years of time, you lose your subjects. I mean, and you need to publish. So there's every reason, just like in everything else in life, there's every reason to behave based on short-term pressures. Yeah. But it neglects the longer-term considerations, including thinking through all the consequences of what we do and don't do. Not not much psychology has focused in this longer-term territory. So take us down. So we have kind of some baseline knowledge of what proactivity is. What are some other elements that people need to be aware of when it comes to this topic? Well, I will say I've started calling proactivity a class of behavior different from most behaviors. Ah. Most behavior is short-term focused rather than long-term focused. Okay. Much behavior is done pretty unthinkingly. Yes. Rather than thoughtfully and strategically. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to call <laughs> I'm going to call this episode unthinkingly. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's a gerund or an adjective or what, but I'll... I love the word though. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I, I um, agree with you. Like a lot of the day we're on autopilot. It's automaticity. It's not necessarily thought through intentional behavior. I see that a lot in a lot of my activities around developing leaders, where we can literally finish discussing a topic, move into an activity, and the defaults take back over, right? Yes, yes, great comment. Uh, to, and to continue with your question uh, about how di- how is it different, so much of what we do is just staying on a current path or sticking with the status quo yep. or trying to stay out of trouble not taking risks, et cetera, et cetera. Proactivity involves leaving the current path, challenging the status quo, taking some risks. And by the way, proactivity also is attempt. It does create change, unlike most behaviors. And one thing that implies is other people are going to resist it. At least some other people are going to resist the changes you're trying to implement. So it's harder. It's harder than most behaviors. I've never thought of that. Okay, so proactivity requires you as an individual to change your behavior because you're in pursuit of this this better future. A very mm-hmm. simplistic example might be working out. If I if I want to be proactive about my health and I'm thinking long term, what is it that I well that's going to require me to change my behaviors. If I want to be proactive about saving for the future, I want to have a a place in Maine when I retire, then I, I have to change my behavior. I have to literally make some sacrifices now in some way, potentially, to live into. I'd never thought of it that way, but it makes perfect sense. And by the way, saving for retirement is a great example of a long, perfect example of long-term behaviors. It's also the domain in which nudges have become popular to create the initial choice for an employee, for instance, making decisions about how much to contribute to a retirement plan. Yeah. The initial choice options can nudge a person towards committing to automatic deposits every month or, or whatever. Uh, so the nudges can 
at a single choice point can create the path down a, a different path yeah. that will pay off greatly down the road. The extra challenge, though, is all those domains in which you make choices all the time. And so many of those choice points include temptations to not exercise or yes. to not contribute to your retirement plan. Nudges are cool, but there's this whole new long-term domain that we got to learn more about to keep people going in the right directions. Not only do I maybe have to change my behavior, but I might have to convince others who may not be happy with some of those decision choices, right? Big point. Absolutely right. Imagine you don't like something about well, you're a person's workplace opera. A person doesn't like the, something about the way his or her workplace operates. You bring it up to the boss. The boss doesn't want to do anything about it. End of conversation, or do you keep trying? Yeah. What if the boss is, maybe the boss is indifferent, or maybe the boss thinks it's a horrible idea, or maybe the boss takes it personally, or the higher-ups take things personally? I mean, what if there's something important? And in fact, that the phrase now, elephant in the room, yeah, that people are afraid to talk about, but should talk about. Major change as a target of proaction is highly difficult, often highly risky thing. And by the way, the bigger the challenge, the greater the chance of failure. And part of the risk is is the defeat and the experience of defeat. You know, Robert Keegan might call it competing commitments. I have a lot of competing commitments sure. that. Yeah are working against maybe that thing. I, I want to stay safe. I want to maintain control. I want to, all of these different competing commitments that, that, that proactivity is kind of up against. And I want to reward myself. <laughs> Safety is a great point. And so it's maintaining control. Yeah. When you venture into proactive territory, there, there's much more uncertainty and fe- a feeling of less control. Yeah. I'd never thought of this. So proactive territory, even that phrasing is really, really cool. It inherently, you're giving things up, you're taking risks there. You're, you're, you're losing certainty in some ways, the known, the known knowns, regardless of whether or not those are positive or not, at least, you know, and that's so interesting. I actually thought you were saying you were taking us back to the Norwegian gnomes in the mechanical <laughs> but that's not quite what you said. That would have been a hard turn on the <laughs> right. conversation, right? <laughs> right. So you, gnomes, you are, Tom, tell you me are, about you, gnomes. Yeah, right. You are a bridge builder. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never thought of that, the risk and the loss and the potential social challenges that come. I might have to lose social capital if I bring this up. What if your cohort of friends are all excited about a certain activity that you've done with them, but you decide it's unethical or somewhat unethical or terribly unethical, and you want to say something about it? Are you going to go against that? And uh, and you're, you're right about the social risk. Yes. Wow. Hey, well, I think of it. Can I mention something else about your earlier question about what's worth knowing about this? When we first started studying proactivity, it, it took on a reputation of being something of a personality trait. Okay. That, that some people are more proactive than others. Okay. And we said a few things to that effect in the original article. I want to highlight very loudly and clearly that that's a little bit defeatist and self-defeatist. Okay. It's like so many other things that are seen as personality traits you're not stuck with whatever your natural tendency is. Mm. 
if you're an introvert, you can behave like an extrovert sometimes. Yeah. And vice versa for extroverts. If you're a, an ESTJ, that doesn't mean you're stuck in that cell of the Myers-Briggs. Yeah. In fact, Myers-Briggs people want you to explore into other territories. They don't want you to stay in that single box of their four by four matrix. Um, yeah. So it's the same with for proactivity. I'm personally, I'm not terribly inclined to be proactive, but there are times when it's important and I'm, I, I'm positive. I'm more proactive now that I've really thought a lot about this stuff than I used to be inherently without thinking strategically about it. Yeah. I would tell, I would say that to your listeners about any personality trait. Yeah. Don't, don't feel that you can't be a leader because you are X Yes, on a personality scale. Yes. Uh, that's, a, that's an area for growth and change if you put your mind to it. Well, and you've used the word strategic several times, which I also never would have equated with this word proactivity or proaction, but strategic. So that implies some, types of, some type of intentionality. I've thought through the options. I'm looking at the, the, the different paths we could take, and I'm strategic in what I'm choosing. Uh, correct. And I would, uh, you, you might, and some of your listeners might uh, like the, uh, the idea that it starts with what Kahneman would call systems to deliberative thinking nice, rather than more automatic unthinking <laughs> systems. <one. laughs> There's that word again. <laughs> what are some research findings? It could be yours or it could be others that you found kind of interesting about this space. Good question. Thank you. I, it seems logical to start with the very first empirical study we did. And by the way, I've always been in business schools, organizational behavior is taught in management departments. So our first context for studying productivity was the workplace. Okay. And we created the first questionnaire to try to study, to try to measure proactivity. And the first one was, uh, I think, 17 items. It asked questions about if I, if I see a problem I'm likely to tackle it or more likely than other people to act on it. I excel at spotting opportunities and I see them faster or more clearly than most people do. If I run into obstacles, I don't give up. I work to overcome them or work around them. I keep after it. Since that first study, a number of people in my field have done studies of proactivity and now just focusing on the workplace the types of things that it's that the original scale or a version of it has been related to empirically include people's performance on the job, evaluations from their bosses. Oh, by, by the way, there's a qualifier there. Some bosses don't want proactivity. Huh? Some do. But on net, especially if you manage the risks, the net of proactivity tends to be positive. On net, it's been related to faster promotions and higher promotions. On net, it's been related to higher salaries, various measures of subjective career success, career satisfaction, et cetera. Proactive people are more likely to actively deal with job stress rather than passively hope I'll get through this. They take actions on their stress. Teams can be proactive to positive effect. Uh, I really think leadership in the form of trying to create constructive change, change leadership is inherently a proactive endeavor. By the way, entrepreneurs 
starting a new company is proactive. Oh yeah. But not many people really do that. And the list goes on. And it's time to mention now, like you said at the outset, and thank you for that. I, at some point I came to realize that a domain and maybe the domain most lacking in adequate proactivity is sustainability and climate change. Okay. Okay. So many decisions have been made over so many decades that have been driven by short-term reasoning and payoffs or avoiding costs. And we need more long-term future-focused action. And that inherently is is proactive. Yeah. Uh, and, And that's a domain of real interest to me now. Talk about that. What do you see? I just saw a post from uh, Greta Thunberg. I think it came across Twitter. It may have been last night that the coal production is going to go up 22% in the US this year or something to that effect that we can't seem to, on a large scale, A, agree, but then B, live into some of these decisions that will benefit us down the road. Yeah. And boy, God bless her and the other young people and the others who are who are swept up in, in the need and talking about this and doing things about it. Climate change, climate action, and the lack of climate actions fits perf they fit perfectly with all the things we've just said more generally. Yeah. People behave according to short term, not long term. They think ahead a little bit, but not very much. Yeah. They avoid costs now, they go for rewards now. To be an early adopter, so to speak, of the need to, to talk in a company about the need for climate action and greater sustainability is often to go against the grain of the yep. bosses. And maybe you're, maybe a person is literally alone and is thrilled to find the first other person in, in the company who agrees about this being important. So it's, it's yeah. all the same things operating there. I'll, I'll, what strikes me to add, what being worth adding is there's so much... Binary thinking, either mm. or thinking. Yes. People either for the longest time and some things are changed. By the way, there's a lot of good news going on these days. There really is. Yeah. But but you mentioned that cold statistic. There's a lot of statistics indicating we're not nearly on track to hit the 2050 goals that have been set globally and internationally. And we, we certainly need more. Part of the problem has been I either believe in climate change or I don't. Yeah. Or I either agree with taking action or I don't. It's not up to me. It's up to them to do something about it. The United States has been a bigger contributor than most countries, but they have to do their equal share to us. And when in fact, there needs to be all kinds of gradations and qualifiers and real fairness is not everybody doing the same thing. By the way, a lot of people are, are all about mitigation. Uh, but I'm not going to bother with adaptation. I'll devote yes. myself to this. But of course, both are needed. And that list goes on. Here's another one. The, the need for individual actions versus the need for systemic actions. Hmm. Uh, it's a systems thing, not a personal thing. Well, we really need system change. But we would do very well if if there wasn't system change, but every individual did more. But a lot of those individuals would see it as unfair and rather than fair. They're giving up, again, even at that individual level, maybe it's just convenience, maybe oh, it's yeah. price to make that individual decision to, to be proactive in being individually responsible about climate change. Let's just take that. I have to make some decisions about what I buy, mm-hmm. what products I support. Uh, they, they may cost more. 
I might have to inconvenience myself by purchasing a composting system and actually engaging in that. So it's interesting because it, it, you're right. It goes back to, I may lose something. I may have to give something up. I might have to risk a, a way of being or putting myself out there. If I, if I voice this within my family, Hey, I think we should start recycling. Oh, you tree hugger, blah, blah, blah. Well, all of a sudden I might face something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Everything you just said is, is in that same framework of reasons why people don't behave with long-term interests adequately in mind. By the way, as you were saying those accurate things, I start to back to the example about short-term versus long-term payoffs for and costs. You know, there's a lot of, you'll know this and a lot of your listeners will know there's plenty of research says that monetary financial incentives and other rewards can change behavior but they tend to change behavior in the short run, not the long run. Climate action and sustainability is a rest of our lifetime kind of a challenge. Extrinsic, manipulating extrinsic rewards is not going to create the long-term sustained effort we need. We're going to have to learn how to change climate action into a more intrinsic rewarding pastime or or pursuit. There's a lot to be learned in that arena. But it's really interesting, Tom, because... You said earlier, and, and this really, I, I had a boss one time say, stop doing so much. You're going to make us look bad. Yeah. Right. And so uh-huh. to your point, at times you're going to come across people, organizations, institutions, governments, where it's not in their best interest. They don't want mm-hmm. you to be proactive. They're going to do everything mm-hmm. they can to squelch that. They don't want it. Right. Um, and that's just another fractal from you know a relationship of two to sometimes a nation state. Yeah. Good comment. Another fractal that prompts me to say, to add a couple more things on your point. One is again, you and and many of your listeners will know the concept of self-efficacy. Yeah. People feeling unable to make a difference holds back climate action. I'm just one person. Uh, It's well worth highlighting that efficacy can grow I don't know if fractally is the right word, but more than exponent, really exponentially be yes. the right word yeah. Yeah. by turning individual action into collective action, power and numbers regarding climate action, for sure. Whatever a person's personal interest in climate action might be, they can find others with the same interests and magnify their potential impact. By the way, too, that pertains to working at your place of work and finding like-minded coworkers to start initiatives in companies and in other the other sectors. And if organizations more organizations banded together and sectorally and including cross-culturally, the power would, would magnify. And get and the get out the vote thing is is another example. Yeah. A major crucial uh, example. I'm going to put some some links to resources in the show notes. As we wind down this conversation, are there any resources that you want listeners to be aware of when it comes to this topic of proactivity? There is a very good and useful book, especially focused on the workplace, called Proactivity in Organizations, colon, Making Things Happen at work. And it's night 2017. Sharon Parker and Uta Bindel are the uh, editors. I'll mention, really, proactivity has not reached much of an audience yet. So there's not a lot, but that one is square on the topic. 
you mentioned that I write for Psychology Today, and I've got a number of pieces in there. By the way, the name of the blog is Getting Proactive. Good. So, so that fits your question well. Yeah. While I think of it, on the topic of climate action and climate change and what you were saying about the entrenched interests, and it's, it's a sociological and behavioral challenge more than it is a scientific and engineering yeah. challenge. Yeah. And Michael Mann, M-A-N-N, themed climate scientist has a new book out called The New Climate War. And he is he's a technical, deep, classic scientist, empiricism. Uh, he knows it to an infinite level. But this book is about the social and political challenge, the entrenched interests, the, the social conflict of climate action. He could, he could be a behavioral scientist and a sociologist if he yeah. put his mind to it, not just a climate scientist. I really recommend that book for place, place to think about places to act. And now one more. There's a, yeah. a, a project drawdown. Look, um, look that up on, online. They've got a brand new document out about all the many, many possibilities in the workplace. If you want to go to work, finding like-minded colleagues and starting initiatives in the workplace, check out Project Drawdown. Great. Well, in your, your neck of the woods, I have a former student and she's at a large... Uh, energy company from your neck of the woods. And she was here in Cleveland working for them. And she started all of their initiatives around sustainability. Uh, she just really made a difference. And initiatives blossomed within this organization. And by no means is it perfect, but it's a great example of one person with a passion making a difference that now is an organizational priority in a very, very different way than it was a few years ago, right? Spectacular, right. And by the way, that's a great example of not needing an extrinsic incentive so yes. much as intrinsic, we'll use the word passion, but another a, another angle on that from the, like the, the literature perspective is intrinsic reasons to, to do these things. Yep, yep. Real quick, Tom, what have you been reading, watching, or listening to, or streaming that's caught your eye, just in a general sense? It doesn't have to have anything to do with what we've been discussing. I mentioned Mike Mann's book. Adam Grant is a yeah. great organizational behavior person. A recent book of his is called Think Again. Yes, about, I would recommend that too. About closed-mindedness and the need to rethink once you have an opinion. It's okay yes. to rethink and maybe come up with a different opinion. Yes. I'm, I'm about to read, I just bought uh, Margaret Heffernan's uh, book called Uncharted, How to Navigate the Future. Huh. I've yet to read it, but navigating the future in uncharted territory, that's a big challenge and part of effective proactivity. Yeah. So I look forward to reading that. Oh, and I guess one more I mentioned is just today I read an article. Jane, Jane Goodall has a new book out. Oh, and uh, I'm not sure the name of it, but in the article, I saw that she has a podcast called Hopecast. Okay. And uh, she says, you know, I'm talking, I've been talking about proactivities that is talking about changing one's behavior and changing one's way of thinking to become more future minded yeah. and to be both yeah. a thinker and a doer. She gets really down. Jane Goodall does about uh, obviously species extinctions, um, but also like the pandemics and, and climate change generally. And she just, she's just really discouraged like so many of us are. None of these huge things are making enough of a difference in the way humans act. She, she says people have to change from within. And I do think 
a person can help another person change, but but the within part of it is essential, especially for long term. Her podcast is called Hope Cast, as I said. Hope, it, she knows this. Hope is not enough, though. Hope can easily lead to passivity. Yeah, the next round of politicians will do what needs to be done. She doesn't mean it as a passive thing, I am sure, but it requires both the right perspective and strategic action. That mindset of of having hope and we haven't discovered it yet, but then also that action component is is so critical. And by the way, there's I've not seen literature or research on this, but I'll bet you anything that to take to get more immersed in climate action can go a long way toward helping what they call eco-anxiety to to be to do something about it uh, rather than just fret about it can be very stress relieving. I am not telling people who are burned out to work harder, but I am telling people who aren't contributing what they could be that to do that could be really helpful from an anxiety and stress and defeatist standpoint. Well, Tom, I, I am so thankful that we've had this conversation. You've opened my mind to a whole new realm, literally about a word that I had not thought of deeply. And I'm so thankful for that because like so many things, it's this whole world and there's so much that's going on in that word. And it's just a fun conversation because to your point, I mean, we've used words like long-term, future, risk, loss. I mean, there's so much in this world of that word. It's so cool. Nice comments. I've really appreciated your comments and questions. Uh, hey, can I, I just thought of something that could bring closure. I started yeah. off by saying that not procrastinating is, is almost a cliche and trivial compared to the profundity of, of proactivity, but it's not trivial when it comes to procrastinating on climate action. So how's that for 360 closure? I like it. We will continue the conversation, sir. Thank you so much. Really Mid fun. And Coast Botanical Gardens. I, I've i seen it as uh, one of the top attractions in Maine. I promise I'll go. Oh, you will not be disappointed. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. place. And the next time I'm in Maine, we'll get together for a pint and catch up. I will give that serious consideration. <laughs> so that I was trying to be proactive and like I, 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 okay. I have all right I commit I commit I commit right now okay be uh, well sir thank you uh, thank you you too thanks so much what a fun conversation with Tom I really hadn't reflected on the word proactivity with any depth whatsoever but what I loved about our conversation is there's a whole world underneath this word and at first glance, it feels fairly simplistic, but it's actually incredibly complex. If at the individual, the team, the organizational, even maybe we could go to the country, at all of these different levels, if we want to get somewhere new, we're going to be giving some things up. If we want to get somewhere new, we have to go in eyes wide open and understand the complexity that we are engaging in. And so, Tom, I just say thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. Thanks for the work that you do. I will place a number of resources in the show notes for those of you who would like to explore this topic a little further. But as we enter 2022 and you think about what you want to accomplish, 
This episode has some clues. This episode can serve as a guide. Be well, everyone. Take care. And as always, thanks for checking in. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.